about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And the next reading is Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 16, page 948 in the blue box. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high... He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. Well, how do I follow all that? <laughs> um, thanks for all those who put a lot of work in today already, and I uh, really appreciate those comments and thoughts that people had. I'm not sure how ducks will fit, but maybe they'll fit into our passage today. It makes sense that Megan was talking about those things. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. I've been trying to work out what I might say to you uh, at this time, and I think Ephesians 4 makes sense uh, for where we are and what we're doing, um, and so I thought we would look at this together. Um, let's just see that we've got this all right. And think about what, it, what does it mean to be uh, worthy of call, our calling? What does it mean as a church, as individuals, as we head into a time of transition, uh, both for us, for Jane and myself, and also for you as well, as we think about the future? Um, of course, as we come to Ephesians, what we notice is that uh, Paul had ministered in Ephesus for about three years. Um, he really loved the place. Uh, one of the passage that, passages that was in contention for today was uh, Acts 20, which has Paul crying and everybody crying because uh, he loved the people of Ephesus and he was leaving and he wouldn't see them anymore. I thought, maybe not. We, you know, we, that that might have worked, but actually I think this might be better. Um, and as Paul writes, uh, one of the things that he's been doing is actually building an argument uh, throughout Ephesians, and it's worked this way. In chapter 1, he's talked about how God has predestined each person to salvation by grace. In chapter 2, he's made it clear that it's for all people, uh, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And the call that was once a mystery has now been revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. And so then as he comes to chapter 4, uh, he starts to think about how does that apply, what does that do within the life of of a church, and so as Paul writes from his prison cell um, in Caesarea, he um, writes, and his call is to live a life worthy of calling. Um, and in particular, he's concerned about the issue of unity. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit today. Um, the whole notion of unity. Well, let's think first of all about this notion of call and what Paul has in mind as he speaks. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, in chapter 1, as I've already mentioned, there is this sense of an individual calling. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He has adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. There's a thing about adoption, isn't there? Adoption tells us something about our relationship to God. Adoption happens when someone chooses someone else. And in most cases, there's a lot of legal wrangling involved as well. But as the adoptee, you don't negotiate with the person who's adopting you. You don't have really much say in it at all. You don't say, oh, by the way, I'll come on board with your family if you do this for me. No, the adoption is an act on part of the person who is adopting 
It's an act of grace. It doesn't come because of your status. It doesn't become because you've won their hearts in some way. It becomes because they choose to adopt you. And that is what Paul is reminding us of here as he's talking about calling. He's saying the way that God has called us is to adopt us. And what's extraordinary about this statement is that he's thought of us and he's thought of us for a long time. And in his grace, he has reached out to us through the death of his son at great cost to him. In him we have the redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins. This adoption came at great cost. And we are his. We simply receive this adoption, this calling. But of course this individual calling leads to something else. It leads to a corporate calling. And we see Paul unpacking this in Ephesians in particular ways. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. It's reflected again in the passage that we're looking at this morning. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. When you're called and adopted into God's family, you become part of his church. You become part of the members of the household. You are no longer foreigners. You are no longer aliens, but you are citizens with God's people. Now, for me, that's been an extraordinary thing to keep learning. To understand how that works and to understand what it means to be adopted by the father. This church has been very significant in helping me think through what it means to be adopted by the Father. You've helped me know what that means deeper and deeper as you've spoken with me, as you've challenged me, as you've encouraged me, as you've built me up in your words. You've helped me understand more and more what it is to be adopted, to no longer be an alien and a stranger. And as was mentioned in the video, uh, I grew up somewhere else. And being an alien and a stranger was just part of my upbringing. I didn't belong in the culture that I was growing up in, and I didn't belong in the culture I was coming back to. So my sense of what being an alien and a stranger is quite acute. But you have helped me understand more and more, as a church, what it means to be part of the body of Christ, to know, understand this adoption in deeper and more remarkable ways. And so I thank you. I thank you for the ways that you've helped me do that. You've discipled me over these years. The other significant thing about this, though, is that for us as a church here, it means that God knows the future and knows us. And I think that is, brings tremendous comfort. To be called by God, to be adopted by him into his family, means he knows where this church is going and he knows what will happen. 
He understands the future. His sovereignty is at play. And we can entrust ourselves to him because he adopted us in the first place. And that sense of being known and being known by God, I think, actually gives us great confidence as we look into the future. For me, that's been part of my journey as well, that whole sense of being adopted and also being known. Because if God knows you, he knows your weaknesses, your strengths, what you need, how you need to grow, where you need to go, all those sorts of things. For me, it's been so significant that um, in the past few years, you, you might remember my parents died and they left us a small little gift. I went out and bought this watch. Um, this watch is a, a nice watch um, and I saw it as a gift from my parents to me. That's the way I thought of it. But on the back of it is written the word known. And every morning when I wake up and put it on and wind it up, because it's a wind-up one and I made sure it was, because I'd have to do something physical, it has the word known on the back. And it just continues to remind me that God has adopted me into his family and that both for me and for you, there is a future and we can confidently move forward in that future. That is our calling. God calls us to himself. And so Paul says, what does it mean to live a life worthy of that calling? Now, he doesn't say everything possible here. He says a number of different things. But one of the things he starts to talk about is the question of unity. And this is what he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, it's interesting to note where Paul starts at this point. He starts with a very personal stance towards uh, each other. He starts with this idea of being completely humble and gentle towards one another, being patient and bearing one another in love. And when you think of yourself as being humble and gentle, one of the traits of that is that you feel really uncomfortable if people start making notes about you rather than pointing people to Jesus. One of the things it deals with is the self-assertiveness of your own heart and the idea that you somehow have to have this confidence which overrides everyone. Now, being completely humble and gentle means that you think of yourselves as better than others. And you continue to treat them in such a way. Of course, alongside that and flowing out of that are the ideas of being patient and bearing one another with love. Our proud people are not are people who are uh, sorry who are not patient. They say things have to be this way or that way and have to be determined this way or that way. Who do you think you are making me wait like this? But a person who is humble and gentle will also be patient, will also have some forbearance, if you like, with others, or will approach each other in love. Now, what I find so interesting here is that Paul, in his stance of thinking about unity, says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, 
and also talks about the notion of bearing one another in love. There's a sense in which this is incomplete in some ways. Uh, The reason we need to bear one another in love is because actually we're not perfect. And we're going going to get things wrong. And we're going to get things wrong with each other. And we're going to need to to right wrongs where we can. And so it will take some bearing. It will mean that we have to work at it. We won't always be humble and gentle and patient. And yet, Paul says, if you want to continue to grow, to live in a life worthy of the life you've been called to, that's what you will do. You will grow in humbleness and gentleness. And the beautiful truth, of course, is that this humbleness, this gentleness, this patience, this bearing one another in love is actually most evident in Jesus. The one who went before us. The one who died on the cross in our place in order that we might understand what it means to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear one another in love. And it's as we grasp an understanding of what he's done for us on our behalf, and as we understand that he's actually gone before us, that we can then start to embrace this and think about what that actually means in our individual reactions with each other. Now, of course, that's the stance of unity. That's the way we come together. And I'll come back and comment on that a little bit further in a moment. What's so interesting then is Paul goes on and talks about the source of this unity. Now, Megan very helpfully showed that to us in the kids' talk about ducks. She uh, managed to tell us that actually the ducks were given the unity. In, In the movie they weren't, but the idea is that the ducks are actually given this unity. And that's what's happening here in what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You can see the oneness there, the unity that's being described here, is a unity that's found in the Trinity. One Lord, one spirit, one God and Father of all. It's a unity that is not ours We can't make it. We can't force it into being. It's a unity that is handed to us as people who have been adopters as sons and daughters, those who have been called. Now, Paul is clearly saying live out that unity, but the unity doesn't come from us making it happen. It's actually handed to us. It's not that we don't have any part to play in it, but the unity, the source of the unity is what God has done for us. And this is particularly evident in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer and he's considering, he's praying for us and he's praying for our future. And this is what he says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I have given them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, you can hear the sort of language again, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then Jesus adds, then the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. 
there's an implication of the unity that Jesus is praying for at this particular point in time. And so what Paul, I think, is doing here is saying that, yes, we should experience unity in the way that we approach one another, in the way that we care for one another. But this unity is grounded in a source of reality. It's not just about our experience. It's the unity that comes from the unity of this being in the spirit. It's, it's objective. It's outside ourselves. We can't create it. We can't in some ways even define it. What we're called to do is to submit to it. And therefore, Jesus prays that we will be able to do it, knowing that it is challenging and that it is difficult. Now, the reality is it's not unity at any price. Um, every church has every gener- every church and every generation has to deal with questions around whether certain behaviours are part of unity or not. And I take it that that's why Jesus is praying, because he recognises that that will be an issue in the future. There is plenty of opportunities for division. And particularly if, I think, we put at the centre of our unity what the passage said earlier. And that is that we are to be completely gentle and humble and be patient. If that's the measure of unity, then I think we'll get it wrong. Because we need to recognise the source of unity which expresses itself in the measure of, in, in that stance of unity afterwards. So let me put it like this to try and explain it a bit further. If our source of unity is in uh, what God has done for us in Christ, then we together will be facing him. We'll be facing Jesus. We'll be facing what he wants and what he calls us to. That will then give us the stance of unity towards each other. And as we saw in that position, Uh, passage, we will also be a witness to Jesus because of that unity. If we make as central the stance of community to what we're doing, then we actually don't offer anything at all. Both of them go together. And for me, this has been really important to think through because as I leave this church and move on to a different ministry, I'm moving on to a ministry which involves lots and lots of different kinds of Christians. We're planning to uh, plant 400 churches across Asia-Pacific. My role is to make sure that each one of those ministers who are overseeing those churches gets support and encouragement and are built up. Uh, It brings together all kinds of different Christians from different backgrounds. And we are unified, although there are differences. And sometimes those differences have to be really grappled with. Now, what we've determined is there are some primary things that we won't give up on. Uh, the orthodox beliefs of the Protestant faith are, are generally, the creeds are the things that we hold on to. There are some secondary issues which we recognise that people will do in different ways. Uh, city to city is largely out of a Presbyterian background. Uh, they've had to let go of the way that they think about organizing church life and recognize that actually there's numbers of different ways people recognize church life and they've moved beyond that now. But also we've had to recognize that there are some disqualifying issues, things that actually disqualify unity 
that don't make up unity because they're not looking towards Jesus and what he's done. They're based on something else. And it's interesting to see that in Ephesians chapter 4, we won't look at it today, but as you go into the second half of the chapter, one of Paul's immediate concerns is the purity of the church. He talks about the idea of um, putting off what you... So therefore, I tell you this, and I insist on it, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of thinking. And so in addressing this unit, he's very concerned to see that people are maturing in Christ, and that means putting off certain things. You can't come to church just as you are and stay as you are. That's not what church is about. Church is a place where God will continue to work on your heart and your life and transform you and change you. And if that feels awkward and difficult, that's because he's doing his work properly. If it felt comfortable and nice, you wouldn't be changing. You'd just be worshipping the God that you've made up. And so the God, God uses his word and by his spirit he uses other people to disciple us and to grow us in unity. But it's a unity that comes from him, not from us. When in order to think about this unity and this particular kind of unity, it's not surprising then to, to recognise that God has gifted his church in order to enable this unity. And so this is what we read next. But to each one of you, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. The reality is that we are all different kinds of people. We're made up in different ways. But what Paul is saying here is that God in his grace not only calls us to himself, but gifts us in different ways. Each individual Christian is gifted in different ways to be part of the body of Christ. Everyone here, if you're a follower of Jesus, has something to contribute to the body of Christ. God has given you his grace in order to do that. As he continues, he has some particular gifts in mind. Um, in terms of thinking about those gifts, what he suggested is it's a bit like um, he's won and he's giving out the gifts as a result of being um, someone who has won. Uh, the scene is something that people would have been very familiar with uh, in their times, and that is conquerors would come back with their spoils from war and then they would give out their gifts, uh, give out the gifts that they've conquered with to the people uh, that they were ruling. And Psalm 68, which is what this particular passage is based on, is talking about conquering scenes as well, and particularly the idea that someone will come in a triumphal um, ascendance to Mount Zion. And of course, we think of Jesus when we think about that. Now, what I think is extraordinary about this is that God's celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection is a giving of gifts to church. It's amazing, isn't it? That tells you something about the way that he considers the church and considers who we are in him. That one of the ways he celebrates what he's been doing is to give his church gifts. And so he distributes them amongst all of us. 
And as I was saying, these, partic- these gifts, also, there are also particular gifts. And these gifts include pe- people like apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And in this church, we've been very blessed to have people who are gifted in these ways. As I leave, I'm fully confident that God has people in mind to raise up for the future. But I'm also very confident in the team that God has placed here. I'm confident there are people here who will equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I'm confident that God actually wants that to happen so he'll make sure it continues to happen. I'm confident that our nominators will be considering these things in detail and that God has equipped them for everything that they need to make these decisions. Because God is interested in his church and he wants to see everyone become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so that's why it's a delight to be able to acknowledge that Phil's coming on board uh, for a bit of extra time next year in order just to help small groups and get those things up and running for next year. I had hoped today to announce some other appointments. We were looking for some people who who might help us out for a year. Um, And we had someone who was very interested in helping us out with women's ministry for the year. Uh, Just on Thursday, that fell through. So that was quite disappointing because I was really hopeful to be able to say, hey, we've got someone who can can be here for the year um, as a new minister comes on board. The same thing actually with music ministry as well. We've been talking to people and thinking about those things and it just hasn't come to fruition yet. Uh, because we're very concerned to serve you well, um, and parish council is very concerned to serve you well in this interim period. What this also means, though, is that as we go into transition and as we think about what's next, each of us are being called to step up. We have outstanding leaders, but as a church, we're being called to step up. To be people who use the gifts that God has given us by his grace to serve others. And I don't mean here in a way that demands that you get to serve others. In a way that says, I have an idea and that means I have to put this idea into place if I'm going to serve others here. No, in a way that will reflect what it means to express our calling. And that is to be people who work with one another who are completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. People who have that stance towards one another as we serve one another and use the gifts that God has given us. Now, I think as we do that and as we think about what it actually means to live a life worthy of the calling, We'll recognise his call, his unity and his gifts. And we'll entrust ourselves to him as he leads us forward, as he shows us the way in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Moving forward confident in the knowledge that God has reached out to us and adopted us as his sons and daughters and called us into his household at great to himself. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.